The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Joanne Mercier. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Dom. Hi, everybody. So I'm, I'm tempted to rename this The Secrets of Technology and Coronavirus because <laughs> so, so much of the technology yep. news today has rotates around the virus, and it just, it's just the way it is these days. But uh, uh, that's why our, our two segments are about the, the virus, our, our main two segments today, but in, at least in a way. And, uh, but, but the important technology questions come up that I think the audience, you, the listener, want to know about you, you you tell us that these things are important for you, for you to hear about and so we want to talk about it for you and, and you know on your behalf and kind of hash out what's going on and today the first segment is this continuing question of privacy versus safety uh we've got pundits on both sides and we've talked about this a few times in the last few weeks uh about you know so we've got to balance our privacy from our technology versus uh fighting the virus and Part of the fight against the virus is getting information about who's sick, who's been in contact with others. And a lot of this data is acquired through, you know, most easily and most accurately by using technology that could compromise our privacy. So uh, the first article I want to mention that's related to this is this, uh, in Fast Company. A, uh, it's an op-ed by uh, a former White House uh, in the Bush administration, uh, director of information, uh, it you know in charge of it for the for the White House, um, Teresa Payton, and so what, what do you guys think? First, first are, you, are you familiar with the the, the topic of uh, th- this this debate, this this uh, back and forth between privacy and safety? Oh yeah, I mean this is something that we've just been discussing for a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. we've been discussing this, you know, long before 9-11, you know, as we started to notice how we can be tracked. You know, of course, there are shows of, you know, person of interest where that's basically right. the whole plot is that he's able to use all this technology that's available to be tracked, or, you know, for the computer to the, the, the master server to track people and figure out who might be at risk. Yeah. You know, and it's 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 interesting when it's a, a great tv show with jim caviezel and lots of action <laughs> and fun it's something very different when it's your daily life right and when we're know, the ones one thing we is you know <laughs> one thing yeah one thing we as americans we take privacy seriously i mean it, it very much is something that is kind of a part of our dna as americans is you know the government can only go so far private industry can only go so far there's a point where it's like no this is this is personal this is private and whether, you know, unless there's a reason to do it, you need to stay out. There, There is that actually. And before we I, I mentioned Teresa Payton's article, I want to get into it. But I do, I do want to talk about that for a second, because there is a very unique American mindset that a, a lot of our friends and allies in other democratic societies that are not totalitarian, but they think we're a little too crazy about this privacy question. You know, in the UK, they're they're a little more relaxed on this. Uh, you know, for years they've had, you know, uh, this closed circuit TVs everywhere where, you know, watch, you yeah. know, the, the watch for crime and all that sort of thing. And that's been part of the DNA there. Uh, you know, in, in other countries, other, you know, throughout Europe and in other democratic countries, South Korea, I think is the one, and Japan, they have a lot more police oversight, government oversight into the deal as more than Americans would be, whether they'd be comfortable with or whether they just would freak out over. Uh, and, and I, I wonder, is are are we right to do that? I mean, are, are we overreacting in that re- in that regard? Um, I guess I'm on the other side of this. I I, I look at it this way. I'm all for privacy, but I sometimes feel that the greater good is served by having a little bit more information. Um, you know, as far as as far as um, 
we tend as Americans to want to be so private that we don't want to give up anything. Whereas, for example, if there's an app that can, you know, go back through your contact tracing and say where you've been and let people know if you have the vi you know, if you if you do have the virus that they need to know about it, I think that's okay. I mean, I think that's a good use. It, it depends on the use of it. I think all of us read 1984 when we were growing up. So I think a lot of us don't want to see that big brother totalitarian state. But I think it's also paralyzing us because we're not allowing the good part of what technology can do, especially in this pandemic, to, mm -hmm. you know, to let it be grown and see. And it just means that somebody's got to have a moral compass when it comes to saying, no, that's not acceptable. We can't go that far. Mm. And I think in this, in this country, we do have a problem with the moral compass in some respects because we take the, you know, I, a freedom that we have and say, I can do whatever I want. You know, so there, there's, there's a balance issue right. or imbalance. I think, the, I think the question is, is where, do we, where does that line get drawn? And some people want to push the line further away. Some people want to draw it closer in. And that, I think that's really where the debate is. I think... Most people now, obviously, there's always going to be people in the French who are for you know open everything or closed everything. But I think for the majority of people, it's just a, they're like, okay, yes, we can do use technology to help solve the problem. But where where do we draw that line on right. how much of our privacy we protect? Teresa Payton's uh, op-ed she she kind of lays out some of the you know post nine eleven we gave up some of our freedoms with the passed the Patriot Act. Some people cautioned. That's giving government a lot more ability to do things than than some of us are comfortable with, whether on the left or the right. And some people say that that's that concern has been borne out in the past twenty years. Uh, and and then she lists some of the the not just even China and Russia, where you expect sort of totalitarian actions in their fight against the virus, but other places like South Korea, which is you know tracking people with you know. Thermal camera, thermal cameras at train stations to track people's body temperature in Israel. Mm -hmm. They're tracking citizens' uh, telecommunications data to monitor infections. Uh, India is using geofencing, which means you know where um, when a phone leaves a particular area, it marks it so that it can penalize people for going into the into areas they shouldn't go. Uh, UK is using drones to spot people violating social distancing, so on and so forth. And <laughs> and she's saying that could happen here if we're if we're not careful. And then the question is, is it doesn't matter if it happens here. Yeah, well, it's, it's I think one thing that's kind of interesting I was thinking about this is Europe actually has far more stringent data protection laws than the U.S. does. Yes. And of course, they they poke us in the, the eye and it's like, you know, keep poking us. You don't have these laws. We do. You don't have these. You're so concerned about privacy. Well, now those they're pushing those laws out of the way so that they can use that information. Mm. Right. And the governments are very blatant about it. They're just flat out. No, we're going to be following your cell phone. We're going to be watching your your online activity. We're going to be, you know, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? And it's always that that balance of, you know, there there are, there's such a concern about what government can and will do with this data, mm. you know, because I, I'm sorry, and I, I think this this kind of comes down to why a lot of Americans are afraid of the government having access to a lot of this data is, what's going to say they're going to let that go when the emergency is gone, right? Like it or not, our government has the ability to extend emergencies, quote unquote, or issues far longer than they really need to see our almost constant state of war it seems like we're in right in fact the, the this is one of the things people use against the patriot act which is certain provisions of the patriot act are sometimes used for things that have nothing to do with terrorism like the some of the seizure laws and some of the mm -hmm. uh you know police local police departments small town police departments getting spending tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars on anti-terrorism equipment funded by the Homeland Security that is then used for uh, harsh policing measures, you, you know, uh, mm -hmm. using uh, SWAT-like tactics on regular everyday criminal matters. And, and, and this is the sort of thing that gets people concerned. I note, by the way, the European uh, data protection laws are mainly aimed at corporations. They, right. they, they do restrict government a little bit, but they're not really about restricting government use. And that's a big difference uh, here. 
again, I think that's what where a moral compass comes in. If you if you enact something like the Patriot Act for a certain amount of time, somebody should have looked at that afterward and, and said, okay. There are here are things that we do need. Here are things that we don't need anymore. Let's make those secure again and just move on with the things that we do. But no, people just keep moving on to the next and next and next. And they keep leaving mm-hmm. that stuff behind for uh, unscrupulous folks to take up and use at their own peril or will or whatever. It's the moral compass. Right, right. So one of the things that um, that was said in one of the articles, uh, this this guy who's in Toronto says that uh, most of the measures being implemented around the world, not just in the U.S., don't have sunset clauses, don't have clauses right. that say, you know, this yeah. ends after a certain yeah. point unless it's renewed, so that at least there's a debate that has to happen. Even the Patriot Act had a, a sunset clause where it had to be re- has to be renewed periodically. Um, this is, as he says, could establish what many people are describing as a new normal. This is this sort mm. of policing this sort of oversight could be a new normal well and it's and there's concerns about how they're responding to uh protests right now i mean in the last week or so we've had a couple of protests in states where people were arrested for protesting in their cars right they weren't yeah. even like out on now i got some problems with they had a protest in montana and helen i've got some problems because they just completely went out and they're out in the park across the street from the state capitol and there's no social no attempt at social distancing sure. and i've got problems with that i mean let's let's at least try if we're going to protest at least let's try to follow some of the rules cuz montana's pretty lax but there's concerns that if they're doing this now as far as protesting and have the technology to track who the protesters are that this could be used in the future for other reasons and other protests, mm-hmm. you know, again, again, because there's no sunset to it. There's no time saying once all the COVID-19 related restrictions are lifted, this act is no longer in effect. Right. right. None of them and, say anything like that, which gives the government mm-hmm. permanent ability to do this stuff whenever right. they feel necessary. Now, uh, one thing to keep in mind with regard to the, the these various pundits out there is sometimes they don't always have a, a a good grasp of the of the things they're talking about or objecting to. For instance, a couple of the ones that we we're going to link to in our show notes, they don't seem to really understand exact what what it is that Apple and Google are working on. So, for right. example, like this one pundit says, "Oh, you know, whatever you know, will Apple and Google give up their the data that they're taking and uh, if they can monetize it? Well, Apple has has a good track record, so I'm not worried about Apple." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But she says, "Uh, you know, we need to um uh I'm trying to think. we we need to have tokenized and anonymized use of data we need to make sure they do that well that's already something that that's in the proposal that's what apple yeah. and google are doing is that it's it's baked into it is the anon- anonymity of it the right. di- or, or she says a built-in digital destruction policy and and the other one says oh apple and google are making apps well no as we mentioned last time they're not making apps they're making the hooks for apps right. in the system. Right. The APIs. Yeah. Right. The thing is that she doesn't, the, the person who said about, you know, not about not knowing about the um, to, wanting having token stuff and, and privacy. sounds like she's an Android user because if you she was an Apple user, she would hear constantly how much Apple keeps our privacy and what they, the great lengths that they go to, um, you know, and then let's, well, no, let's, no, 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 but what, Let's be when honest. They, the average Apple user has no more clue about Apple's security policies well, than anybody else. But, but this is she's not a, this person who wrote this is not an average Apple user. This person is a, you know, a, a, a high tech executive and former high government official in information security. She probably should know this. Should. To, to be fair. Right. Right. Yeah. And and again, there are a lot of Android users who are who are just normal, regular people and not techies like us who never update their Android system. So it leaves them vulnerable to a lot of things and no one ever explains that to them. So well, whereas Apple keeps pushing stuff through. Well, I don't want to make this into an Apple versus Google thing. I know. The, the, I know. the, the main point is, is that. The people talking about this, we have to be careful that they know what they're talking about and that they're when they Mm -hmm. when they when they are opinionated about it, that they've got the actual information that these companies before they're not pushing their own some other agenda. And that's important as consumers of information as and as regular users, we need to be informed. We need to be checking out articles. We need to get Mm -hmm. to the data 
I mean, yeah, this is one of the reasons why we do what we do is to help people be informed. Yeah, don't 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 assume that just because she was a high ranking information security person means mm. she actually knows what she's talking about. Because I, you know, having worked in the government and worked in IT in the government, yeah, they might know one little area, but it doesn't mean they know it all. So, <laughs> I'll agree with you. Yeah, I mean that's 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 true enough. As a, uh, yeah, as far as it goes, I, there are plenty of government officials who don't know what they're talking about. Got their jobs for whatever reason. Yep. One of the, the, there's another article, a, a CNN piece with a guy who takes sort of the opposite side or the other side. Uh, this guy's an infectious disease epidemiologist. He's not a tech guy, but he's mm-hmm. but he's going from the point of view like we need to sacrifice some of our privacy for our safety, and kind of outlines some of the he he looks approvingly at the ways that Israel and and Singapore and Korea are. I don't want to say compromising privacy. That that seems that sounds so pejorative or biased, but they're balancing safety versus privacy. That's what I want to say. And so he comes up with some ideas. He thinks that uh, the federal government should use the wireless emergency alert system to anonymously survey all Americans through their phones, which leaves me going, if you start using that system for things like surveys, people are going to yeah. start ignoring it. And that's going to mm-hmm. compromise that system. And frankly, does anyone really believe that the government surveys are going to be really anonymous? I don't know that people mm. really think they would be. Like if I answer, yes, I, I am, uh, or no, I'm not practicing social distancing, or yes, I have been coughing with a fever in the last five days. I think a lot of people would be like, I'm not sure I want to answer this one way or the other because I'm afraid right. of the repercussions. So it, it just seems a bit naive some of these proposals you know what i mean yeah some of that well it's it's again you know the emergency alert system is an emergency alert system it is to alert people to an emergency that's why they use it for things like the uh um, amber alert amber alert yes you know things like that where it's something where we need eyes on this out for this vehicle now right you know um it's not hey so are you feeling okay Right. You know, click yes or no. You know, I mean, I don't even know if the if the like the phones are even set up for that, where no. they can respond back no. through that. So no, that means they, they have to completely redevelop how the EAS system works to do this. In fact, to begin the, with, it's probably would send a link out, and then you'd have to click the link and go to a web page or something. Uh, is my yeah. guess is how it would have to work. But as we saw, even with the Amber Alerts, for a while there in the beginning. The alerts were were for a very broad area. Like I remember getting alert for an Amber Alert in Pennsylvania once, which is I'm in you know the Boston area, and and they and people were really freaked out. Like, look, if we don't narrow this down, people are going to start to ignore these, and they're going to become useless. And I think that's part of the worry. Uh, yeah. Another another thing he proposes is uh, having insurance providers or health healthcare providers offering incentives to to uh, share your data about your your contacts, you know, do contact tracing or your illnesses. But uh, how quickly does incentive turn into requirement? <laughs> you know, yeah. sometimes incentives can, you know, can just be a, 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 a nice face on. If you don't do this, you're going to lose uh, your health care even perhaps. Uh, that would be an extreme case. But that's a little worrisome. I don't know about your states, but from the beginning of this pandemic, our governor in Rhode Island asked us to keep a contact tracing notebook, you know, whether it's on paper, whether it's electronically. And I know from the experience of a a friend of mine who is COVID-19 positive, that when she got it, she had, they immediately call you from the, from the Department of Health and they start asking you all kinds of questions. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if an app would be better. I think it might, but I think even if you're for your brain to work, if you're sitting down every day and saying, here are my contacts and then able to hand that over to somebody when they absolutely need it, I think that will do the job as well. I, I, I don't know that it does the job as well. We're not doing that. There's been no mention of that in Massachusetts, but, um, it, it it works well for the people you know that you're in contact with, like so like you you know people whose name you know, but the the Bluetooth contact tracing that that Apple and Google are working on would work for people you just have incidental contact with at stores right. or on the street. Like if you become within a certain range of them, 
I don't know the name of the person standing in front of me and behind me at the supermarket, but if one of them has the virus and coughed on me, I'd kind of like to know, you know, <laughs> and, yeah, and, and this is the way. So, so in that sense, I, I'm in favor of this contact tracing initiative by Apple and Google. I'd like, I would, I would turn it on on my phone if, if it were available based on the parameters that they've given the, the privacy parameters. Right. And, and if, the, if that's how it works out, but, I'm not sure if I want my insurance company to be forcing me mm. even just through pressure to do it. That's another thing. And insurance yeah. companies, always, people bring up the legitimate concern that if the insurance company finds out that, yes, you might have this. Gee, why did my rates go up? Well, they're going to yeah. find out you have it if you go to the doctor anyway. I mean, that's the yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no there's no helping that they're going to know you have it if you have it. Uh, yeah, I but I mean, it's, it's it's just that's that's kind of always this concern. It's the same thing with auto insurance and their little tracking tools that they right. have available now. Same kind of idea. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've looked at the data that Google has been putting out for about a month now, but they've been putting out where you can see by county what the trends are as far as people going out to eat, people going to, you know, yeah. different sporting places and stuff like that. You know, you know, are people staying home more? Are they so, you know, and it is very much anonymized. It's by like a county level information yeah. here in the United States. And it, it's, it's very, you know, it, it's, this is all they're kind of extending is that is this idea of we're not going to let, you know, there's not going to be any names attached. The advantage, though, of course, with this this uh, Bluetooth tracking thing is that it's only if there's an actual case right? where then they can go through and say, OK, this Bluetooth. And it's it, as I understand it, it's basically this Bluetooth device was in your presence, which is associated with this person. So right. if they have to actually go in and find the device and then who's the person attached to it. It's it's mm. somewhat complicated. We kind of went over the in detail last week, but but there is this. Yeah, there's a you get a daily tracking ID and a. Uh, that is attached to your device and then uh, every 15 minutes a new location tracking id things and then when there's a positive uh notification those things get matched up uh right. in an in an anonymizing way so that you get notified if if necessary it, it, it's it, there's more detail to it but yeah it's so it's like that it it it, it protects everyone one of the things like with, with you talk about with your concern with the health insurance is it's not so much if you get sick but what if you're if they know that you're around other people who right. are not even just sick, but but kind of not engaging in in the best practices for social distancing, will you be mm -hmm. penalized? And that sort of thing. That's what I worry about, too, is, you know, is that sort of data being used against you? And, and I and and if they do it that way, that's going to encourage people not to participate and not to Correct. provide the data that and we need high participation rates for these things to work for the contact tracing, for instance. Uh, one thing that came up recently that people may have seen was that, oh, France is complaining that Apple wasn't cooperating, that Apple's Bluetooth restrictions uh, are preventing the app that, that the government of France wants to put out is preventing them from doing it. Well, the reason why is the, the French app wants to be in the foreground at all times running. What, when oh, you're geez. not even using your phone, no. which Apple says is a, which and they're correct, is a huge, it'll drain your battery like in an mm -hmm. hour, <laughs> like your battery will be dead. <laughs> and it's a huge security hole because your phone is, is unlocked and would have to be unlocked and open all the time. Oh, yeah, that no, no that, that that's ain't happening. not good. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's bad enough when, you know, like on, I, I think Apple does it too now where you can set your GPS settings for each app as all the time or only when the device is open right you know yeah. and yeah you know, it, it's there's no way i would put an app on my phone that's like not just is it can get gps the whole time it's like no it has control of your phone the whole time right. every day yeah you know where my phone's gonna sit if that happens on its <laughs> yeah. charger in my yeah. bedroom right right so yeah so the, the, this is part of the problem is when when politicians are making uh, technology decisions. They just seem to think that t technology is magic. And if we just, you know, say it has to do this, then the techies can just figure it out. Well, it doesn't work that way. It just, it doesn't. Yep. So, um, no. so uh, the bottom line is, is I uh, like one of the people in the article says we've got to, we've, um, what is it? Oh, the, the first one, Teresa Payton, she says, uh, citizens with those, especially those with tech and cybersecurity expertise need to follow the developments closely Someone needs to be able to blow the whistle and throw the flag 
in the midst of all the Claro fighting disease, we need to be paying attention. It's really the mm-hmm. bottom line. Pay attention and be vocal about it if you, with your with your uh, elected officials, if you if you see things going off the rails or not prote- not protecting us one way or the other. And I think that's really the bottom line. Of course, we'll keep covering this question. It's not going away anytime soon. We'll keep covering this technology with privacy and, secu- and security uh, going forward. That's it's going to be a big issue for the <laughs> for the the future. Let's move on to our second segment then and uh, talk about uh, this other qu- one that comes up. And this is a more of a specifically Catholic question. Uh, in New York, where the the virus is hitting the hardest in the U.S., uh, they've recently given the go-ahead to have video conference weddings. These are civil weddings. So that mm-hmm. uh, you can have the Justice of the Peace or whatever uh, conduct the wedding over Skype or Zoom or whatever. And th- so it kind of comes up to me, you know, like the, the question came up to me, what 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 would the Catholic Church say about that? Could can could there be a Catholic wedding via Skype or Zoom where the the couple would obviously be together in the same room? I mean, if you're going to get <laughs> married, you're going to be not social distancing, shall we say? But but you know, if the minister and the witnesses are in separate places, is that is that possible, Father Corey? Do you know? No, I mean, I mean <laughs> let's just let's put it simply: the sacraments cannot be done remotely. Period. Okay. It's just, I mean, it really is. It, it's really that simple. Now, we can start talking about different cases of how the sacraments are done. For example, having, you know, the wedding could only be the minister, the couple, and the, the two witnesses, and that's it. Right. And mm-hmm. they're all spaced so far apart. The witnesses could be in the back of the church. <laughs> yeah. You know, they don't even have to be anywhere everybody, near. Everybody's got their six feet, you know, the, the minister's up at the altar and six feet away or the couple and six right. feet away from everybody else is the each witness. And But sacraments have to be done in person. I mean, it's that mm. simple. Uh, this may be an obscure theological uh, point. Are the, aren't the couple the real ministers of the sacrament of marriage? Yes. So as long as they're in person, right? Well, so he, I mean, this is where you get in, this is well, this is where you get into the real edge cases of technically there are two sacraments that can be done by any baptized Catholic. Yeah. Marriage and baptism. Right. But those should only be done in extreme circumstances. You know, an example you yeah. hear of is in Japan when during feudal Japan when the Christian church was persecuted, once westerners finally could come back to Japan, they found Christians who had been baptizing and marrying throughout all these years, but they never had any priests. So they could right. have the Eucharist, they could have confession, stuff like that. Technically, I think even you don't even have to be baptized to, to be able to baptize someone. Correct. You, you, uh, no. As long as you intend to do what the church intends. I think yep. that's what mm-hmm. I remember from my sacraments class. With, and you use yeah. the water in the Trinitarian formula. Um, yes. But... It's un, it's interesting that you bring up that the couple is the the minister, ordinary ministers. You still need the church comes together as community, and that's mm-hmm. the problem. Community is hard to do on Zoom, even though most people right. think you can. Um, yeah. Not that kind of community. If you've been live streaming masses now for the last five or six weeks, you know that it's 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 a great way to be connected to your community and your priest in prayer. But you are sorely lacking in the reception of Eucharist. So yeah. I can't see where I have to agree with Father Corey. I can't see where you could legitimately, you know, do a wedding. Now, if people want to be married civilly and then have their marriages blessed when this is all said and done, fine. But I don't even know how that would work. But no, other than I, that, yeah, I don't even think that would work. You couldn't we couldn't do that. Here, here's a question I would have. To think about, I would say that ultimately you absolutely have to have the minister, the priest or the deacon Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the couple. Yeah. The witnesses. This is where I've I've got a little bit of question. Is there a situation where the witnesses wouldn't necessarily have to be in presence, but we would be watching it over webcam? Now, now, Mm. I, I, I think the answer to that is no, they still have to be there. So you have to have at least a minimum of five people in a room to do a wedding. but. That being said, again, most of our churches are big enough where you can have the social distancing. You could have all that mm. stuff. Um, but, you know, there's still some places like here where we're still able to do confessions, in-person wow. confessions, you know, and not even the drive-by confessions, but the actual, 
in the I like, church. That, I like drive-by better than drive-through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> drive-by is like, you know, I want to confess my sins. <laughs> I know. I, I use that term on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to credit Greg Willits for that one, uh, uh, doing that on his podcast. But uh, yeah, so uh, th- th- that's the that's the interesting thing is, is the, you know, there are ways to adapt. The church has has is old enough that we've seen all the different ways ways of having to deal with these things we've had plagues and other situations and you know like you mentioned japan and the hidden christians where we've had to do these things so it's not like there isn't history for this mm-hmm. uh the the rink the current wrinkle is that is the op- opportunity to have technology as part of it but uh I, as you say and i think as of others have said that technology is not a, su- a substitute for presence physical right. presence um but i think i think it would unless I, maybe it's happened already but i think dioceses need to share guidance with the people priests at least yes. but but in mm-hmm. general but the people wouldn't be bad uh, uh for wh- what is permissible what is possible and what isn't and i think i think that would help some of it it i mean it, this is why people are so desperate for this to get back to mass and why there's yeah. these movements for people there to have restrictions loosened and i think also people didn't expect it to go this long I mean, I think we were all naive yeah. in the beginning, thinking that this would be a small window where we would Maybe have to yeah. endure this type of activity. Now, as right. we're as everything's unfolding and we're seeing that the window's getting bigger and bigger and yeah. bigger, now we have to come up with how are we going to keep doing this if we go back right. and then we have to go back home again and then we go back for the while and then we have to go back home again. Well, we don't you know, we've got to start looking as a church as to how to do this and keep our people both evangelized and fed at the same time. Well, I think there's a I think there's a frustration, too, of we it started and we hurried up and we put together what we could. You know, I'm doing my live streams. I'm you know, my live stream masses. I'm still hearing confessions. We still keep our churches open here. But what do we do long term? And right. what new things can we do long term to reach out to people? And I think at least, you know, in, in talking with both lay people and other priests here, at least in my diocese, there's a feeling like we're not doing anything else. We're not trying, you know, would doing the parking lot masses where everybody sits in their car as the priest celebrates mass in their presence, is that something we should be doing? There's not a lot of conversation around things like that. Or if there are, there's like, no, no, we have to stay with where we're at. Right. You know, and if you look at some of the, some of the timelines that people are putting out there, yes, some states, including Montana, are starting to talk about loosening restrictions, not removing restrictions. I, I, those headlines where they say these states want to get rid of restrictions, that's not what they're mm-hmm. doing. That's, don't ignore that stuff. They're mm-hmm. loosening restrictions. And I'm right now, matter of fact, right now as we're talking, as we're doing the recording, the Montana governor is actually having a press conference on what they want to do. But it's like loosening restrictions. But we're still talking possibly months or longer before all restrictions are lifted. And yeah, yeah, it might even be the end of the year because there is a concern about of a bounce in cases where you have a second wave. Exactly. As a, as a faith formation director right now, I'm trying to figure out how to program the, the mm-hmm. upcoming year and, and look at both having a program that is an in-person and an online component. I don't think, right. I think if I try to do the in-person only, I'm going to be back to square one again when this happens again. I'm not even going to say, you know, you know, if it happens, when it happens, because if we look at the 1918 pandemic, it happened again. Pandemics are like that. Yeah, it came back again. In fact, they're talking 15 to 18 months before we have a a vaccine and herd immunity, which, you know, so that we're basically to where we are with the regular flu essentially mm. and and i've been saying for a long time like we're here in massachusetts we're probably going to be among the last to, to lift restrictions uh, and even then and it's probably in june even then like i said we're not going back to normal we're not going back to the way things were in february where they'll loosen restrictions mm-hmm. but we'll have restrictions in place masks in public is going to be a standard for a long time that sort of right. thing and so the question is, is what does the church do do you know so i think dioceses need to to, to get on the ball and start talking about the technology that they can use to provide to parishes. Every parish has basically been on its own. At mm-hmm. this, every priest is on his own trying to figure this out. Dioceses need to start figuring this out for the, giving these packages to the parishes. Like, this is how you do it. This is, right. I mean, this, this, this is what I would be doing if I were still working 
in the uh, uh, the the office for create uh, for new media at the Archdiocese of Boston, like I, I used to ten years ago, is you know w- this is how you do it. This is the equipment you need. These are the instructions to follow. And then coming up with you know the different offices. This is how you do evangelization online. This is how you you know how mm-hmm. what ways that you could do it. Not that you have to do it, but ways you could do it. This is the ways that you could do religious ed online. You know mm-hmm. so on and so forth. That we as a church, we got to get on this. We we yeah. can't just start leave it up to everybody to figure it on their own. We need to work together on this, and I think that's a important. This is something I'm going to have to take to heart because I'll probably be the one that would be working with the diocese because I'm probably I hate to say it I'm probably the most tech savvy priest at least <laughs> you know. Um, but you know, working with them to kind of set this up and figure, okay, Bishop, we need to be thinking not a month or two, but a year of doing stuff like this. And how do we do that? And by the way, I want to throw in a pitch to all parishioners. If your parish has online giving, use it. it. (laughs) Let's just do it that simple. You know, and thanks. We got, you know, I I sent a a letter or an article to my, my parishioners and they've been responding very generously, but you know, I, I think we need to get that out there is your parish is not getting its normal, normal source of income with the offertory. This is right, one right. online thing that a lot of parishes are set up for. Maybe not all of them, but a lot of them are. In Boston, they set up a special, uh, in fact, a lay, it was, this is a lay-led initiative. It's a, it's a page on the Dawson website, you, you, and you can, it's like a 90-day initiative, and it's like a, mm-hmm. you can uh, commit to a dollar a day, a five dollars a day, ten dollars a day if you can, for 90 days to your parish. It, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a straight through to your parish. It's not, it doesn't go to, through the dice at all. It goes straight into your parish's bank account. But they need it. Yes. And every parish mm-hmm. should do electronic offertory. If, even if they don't, use your bank's, your bank's uh, electronic right. transfer or funds or whatever. Mail a check if you have to. But get, yeah. your, get, keep supporting your parish because if you don't, it goes away. And that's bad. And if you're really old school, they all still have a mailbox that's locked outside. <laughs> right. Please use right. it. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly support your parish if you can because it's 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 vital it's i mean as we're all in this bad situation but your parish is is particularly vulnerable at this time uh that's a good point at which we can move to a couple of headlines one of the things we uh that's interesting speaking of google is that uh google owns nest and nest mm-hmm. they have their nest cameras the nest uh doorbell uh and and one of the selling points for Nest has been the quality of the video. They 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 get yes. they have high quality like 1080 or I don't know 4K or something. So you know some high level of quality, which is important when you have a, a security camera because you got to be able to make out the face of the person yep. that's ringing your doorbell or you know uh, lurking around your house. Well, they are turning down the quality temporarily to conserve bandwidth, which is we're all using more bandwidth than ever these days from home. Uh, it you know we're all on Netflix and Amazon Prime and YouTube spending our time and so on and so forth. So uh, this is one of the the ways that they're they're doing it. Now I don't it doesn't say how low the quality is going. Um, so it's it could be one of the things they say is a uh, the uh, the Nest Cam IQ they say at its regular level uses about four hundred gigs of data per month, which is in a, a lot of data, uh, frankly. Yeah, it is. Yeah, wow. uh, given that there are a lot of a lot of uh, cable uh, companies cap your bandwidth at a terabyte a month, like four hundred gigs is forty percent of that. Yeah, uh, I, that seems like a lot. Well, they're cutting it down to uh, you're going to be able to max out uh, at medium high quality setting is what it says, which is three hundred gigs. Frankly, I'd turn that down even more. See, I, I would. I, my 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 instinct would be that would be probably about like a seven twenty p or somewhere in there where it's still high quality. It's still, you know, decent enough. You can be able to get what you need, but it's not going to be, you know, this, not be able to see every freckle of the guy's face as he's breaking into your house. You know, exactly. I don't need 4k video of the, of the UPS guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. But and I'll tell you all I've seen on my ring video doorbell for the past six weeks has been people trying to get into other people's cars. I mean, really? in the middle of the night. Yeah, that's all I wow. keep getting from my neighborhood is and this big surrounding area is people trying to get in other people's cars. And I'm like, 
aren't you supposed to be inside? I mean, they don't even <laughs> yeah. have a mask on. It's like, come on. Right. But no, I think we need, I think anything that can help us with bandwidth right now, I was, I was explaining to Dom before we started that we're going to have to, here at our house, we're going to have to turn up the bandwidth here because we have too many things trying and competing yeah. for, the, for time and, and power. So uh, yeah. yeah, anything that can help is wonderful. Well, I, you know, living in a rural area, I mean, first of all, we don't really have a lot of options. You've got, we've got, you know, our co-op or local, local telephone co-op is our only high speed internet provider. And there's been days I think we've maxed out our connection to the rest of the internet oh, because wow. again, it's a small area. So yeah. we don't have a large pipe leaving town to get to the, you know, to the backbone provider. So, I mean, that's, I, even if I did max up our uh, internet connection, it probably isn't going to do any good because they're just maxed out in general. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, this is a, one, another one of those ongoing issues we're going to have to deal with. Uh, other companies that are, that are ca- capping bandwidth. Uh, Sony is limiting uh, game downloads to the PlayStation. Uh, Amazon and Netflix have both trying to limit uh, video bandwidth. It's mm-hmm. same with YouTube. So it it it's a whole yeah everyone's trying to do it. everyone's too many people are watching Tiger King and they're they're sucking up all the bandwidth. <laughs> you know I haven't even seen that so I must be the only person in the world who hasn't. No, you no, are. You're you're not. <laughs> Good. I haven't either. So I've seen it much to my dismay. But <laughs> but that's a whole nother a whole nother show on the SQPN network. We'll talk about that some, at some other place. <laughs> there you go. Another headline, uh, also related to Google. Google says that they're blocking 18 million hoax emails related to COVID-19 coronavirus uh, every day. 18 million a day. Which, given... Now, that sounds like a lot. Uh, Google has... um, They say they block 100 million emails a Mm -hmm. day in general. So 18% 18 of their their spam, basically, of spam right now is related to that. Which is not surprising. I mean, frankly. Well, of course, it's kind of funny because Gmail, when it first came out, that was that was the big privacy concern was that Google is reading your email through this yeah. automated thing that no human can actually look at. And right. then we got the spam filters and went, never mind. <laughs> Does anyone else remember what life was like before spam, before really yeah, good spam I mean, filters? That's one thing you can say about Google is the Gmail spam filters are the industry standard still. Yes. Yes. And I want to take this time to thank Google for doing that. Now, if we yes. could stop all of the robocalls in the world, I'd be really happy. <laughs> oh, and, and well, Android, at least, I, I think iOS has it as well, where it'll market as spam. If a yeah. call so, is a reported spam number, it'll market as spam. So that helps. If you have AT&T or Verizon, at least they have apps that you can download to your phone that will mark things as oh, okay. spam calls. Uh, but you can also, on the iPhone, and, and you maybe you can tell me if you can do this on Android, but on iPhone, there is a setting to turn to silence uh, mm-hmm. unknown callers. So if they're mm. not in your contacts, it won't ring through, which is great most of the time because... Most people I want to talk to are in my contacts, but there have been occasions where like I'm getting a like an appliance delivery and they're going to call me with the window. Oh, uh, sure. You need to uh, turn that off while you're waiting for the call. Yeah. See, I, 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 I think it's got that setting in Android. I don't use it, but Android will. I think it's built in by Google that it'll mark it as it'll actually come up with, you know, the red stop sign with the white exclamation oh, mark. Nice. If it's a spam caller. Yeah. So it'll just tell you right on there. You know, this is junk. T-Mobile is filtering with spam likely. So when I see that, it's like, yeah, I'm not answering it. But right. you would think that the call centers would all be like six feet apart now, too. So they, they really should stop. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're just doing it from home like they're everybody doing, else. Yes. They're working well, from home probably. like all of us. <laughs> all right. So let's move on to our, uh, our picks of the week. These are always fun to do. And so I want to uh, uh, first, Joanne, why don't we go with you? What's your pick of the week this week? Well, before we got into all this COVID-19 madness, I was picking up a couple of items and on sale, and they believe I believe they're still on sale. One is the Hyperjuice wireless charge stand, um, which I, because I was looking for a Qi charger. I, I said that correctly, right? Because it, it's yes. like GIF and JIF. Um, yes, it's Qi. But yes. I, it's Qi. <laughs> because, and, and it, thank God I got one because, 
My husband and I are burning through our phones a lot now that we're both home working from them. And it's been a great, it's a great little charger. Uh, it'll, it's goes flat as well as it will move, you know, it will reposition itself so that you can have it standing up. I like that better at night, you know, so mm-hmm. I can see if somebody's calling me on the phone. It also comes with a, um, a port so that you can put a USB A in and have another device charge, but you can't do it at the same time. So if your phone's on there, it's not going to charge the other device. Um, I got it for thirty nine ninety nine um, through Hyper. They also have a version of it if you want to have a whole bunch of other ports. So if you want other, um, you know, USB A, USB Cs, you can get that as well. With it, I got the wireless charge case for iPods for ten bucks. Now oh, this wow. basically this basically is an egg to put your egg in. Okay. But <laughs> but what it does, it is. But what it does is it it actually the, the case itself is is to be used with a Qi charger. And oh. you when you put it in, it connects to the port on the bottom. That's how it connects. And then you put it on the charger itself and it works just fine. So no need to go out and wow. buy the next, you know, year of iPods. Um, hmm. I'm getting mine. I'm getting mine charged through that. So it, right now, wow. like I said, the original charger that I got was thirty nine ninety nine, and the little egg is still ten bucks, and that's from Hyper. It was originally fifty bucks, so it's down to ten bucks. That's a that's a pretty good deal. Nice. Well, that's because I, Apple ended up, you know, in yeah. the second generation. So now they're practically giving them away, but they're worth it if you can get them. Yeah, I may have to hop on that myself. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, I may have to get one of those for myself. That's nice. Excellent. Uh, Father Corey, what's your pick this week? So, you know, like many people, I'm going through withdrawals because there's no sports and there's no auto racing and there's no, nothing like that at all. But there's a site that has come to the rescue. Jelly's Marble Runs has, is a YouTube channel that's been around for years, and he's he's done these really incredible marble tracks where he'll do like thousands of marbles at a time. Well, somehow he's gotten agreements with Formula One and Formula E, e is kind of like Formula One, but it's the electric racing, to run marble runs using kind of like their logos or something similar. So the Marbula one is based off of formula one and he had an agreement to do it. And what he does is he build these tracks out of sand and he runs. Was yeah. that out of sand? Well, no, 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 no. He, he's done with, with sand and everything, but these are oh, just okay. like plastic and Lego tracks. Oh, okay. That he sets up and he runs these marbles and he does it where, you know, each marble is part of a team and there's two different members of the team and all this kind of, you know, and, and eat, they'll do qualifying or each marble runs the track and does a qualifying run. And then they do the actual <laughs> race where there's like 16 marbles that run around this track and commentator as if it's, you know, they're, they're actual people in cars racing and everything. And it's really, really fun. That's awesome. And what's, what's been amazing is like, like they did this Marbula one. And like I said, and it's M-A-R-B-U-L-A, Marbula instead of formula. They and it was they, they had agreements and they, they kind of put it in the comments where they have agreements to use likeness logos that are like the Formula One, you know, and structures like the Formula One structures. But it wasn't actually sponsored by Formula One. Well, just last week, they came out with Marbula E, which is actually sponsored and in conjunction with Formula E racing, including the team names. So like you've got a Mercedes marble, you've got a BMW marble, (laughs) you've got the Virgin Atlantic or Virgin whatever marble. And then they've got the actual on-screen graphics because it's the the footage is edited into the video by the the Formula E people. And the commentator is the commentator for Formula E. Wow. So it's like an official... (laughs) thing and it is so much fun to just sit and watch these stupid little marbles run around this track and some of these tracks are rather ingenious i mean the work that he put into them and planning them out and i I think what it what as i understand what he's doing with the the marbula e is these are actually the mark you know marble versions of the actual tracks that they race on so it's the actual shapes and everything of the tracks just scaled up for down for marbles instead of cars. That's awesome. And it is so much fun to watch. <laughs> I expect uh, NFL this fall to be doing uh, Madden NFL football 
uh, broadcast yeah. instead of regular football. That's exactly where we're going with these things. Uh, awesome. That is satisfying. We'll put a link to the YouTube channel for Jelly's Marvel Runs in the in the show notes. So my pick is a blog post I wrote recently about a a, a little home project I did. So everyone with everyone working from home, one of the things that you may be encountering is a necessity to go into another room, close the door, and not be disturbed. Like I this is my standard. Problem because at <laughs> podcasting, I need to be nobody coming in and knocking on the door of my home office and coming in while I'm uh, recording. And for years, I've wanted an on-air light, like you see radio stations, but they are ridiculously expensive, unusual, like just like crazy, and they have to be wired into the wall and all that sort of stuff. So what I've done is I've taken a, a Hue Philips Hue bulb and uh, programmed it with. Uh, you on from with my Mac using uh, a couple of pieces of software, automation software, keyboard, maestro, uh, and uh, and I actually hook into my mixer so that. Long story short, when I turn my mixer on, it sends a signal through keyboard maestro software on my Mac that that then tells the Hue bulb to turn on red. <laughs> so when I'm working, the bulb is red, and then when I turn the That's mixer awesome. off, it turns it off. Uh, I can also control it uh, using the standard HomeKit apps, and uh, and I also have a setting where I could t- put it to yellow, where I'm not recording but I'm working. So if mm. it's if it's important, you can knock, but uh, but the red means don't knock unless the house is on fire or you're dying. So <laughs> so That's I'll awesome. put a link. <laughs> I'll put a link in my in the show notes uh, to the, to my blog post about that. If that this sounds like something you might be interested in doing for yourself in some form. Uh, and uh, it it was relatively inexpensive, especially if you already have any of the uh, Philips Hue stuff or anything like that on hand. All right. I think that uh, should do it. I do want to take a moment now to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Miguel G, Krista Joy M, Laura F, Benjamin B, and Kathleen F. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Technology, and all the shows at StarQuest, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What do you think of our discussion? If you have any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can comment on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. And you can find links to all the uh, articles from our discussion and our picks of the week at our show notes at sqpn.com. And if you can, we'd really greatly appreciate it if you could go to Apple Podcasts, wherever you get our podcast from, and write a review. That really helps us get the show out to more folks. And if you could share the podcast with your friends. So right now, people are, share, are listening to podcasts more than ever, and they're looking for new things to listen to. And if you could share the podcast with them, especially if you think what we're providing is a service of good information about what's going on in technology, and especially related to the current situation, we would greatly appreciate it if you'd help us get out to more folks. So until next time, Joanne Mercier, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Dom. Stay, stay safe, everyone. And Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Well, thank you. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of technology on StarQuest. <laughs>